I believe that every one of us can create beautiful images, feel fulfilled and improve our well-being through photography. The Quiet Landscapes podcast explores the life and work of photographers, creatives and thought leaders through monthly conversations that will inspire you. My name is Margaret Soraya and I'm so glad that you are here. Hello and welcome. Today I have Andy Holliman with me, who is a London-based photographer and he has a really interesting portfolio, which includes some really beautiful abstract and impressionist style work. And so I was really interested to talk with um, Andy today to find out a little bit more about the motivations and the processes behind your work. Um, Now you've got quite a lot of interesting portfolios online um, and Initially, I was really intrigued because I haven't actually seen your website before until you sent it to me. Um, so I was really intrigued by the name of it, um, as I'm sure that other people have mentioned in the past as well. All this, all this useless beauty. So can you just tell me a little bit about that? Of course. Uh, well, hi, Margaret. Morning. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, the title comes from originally from the name of an Elvis Costello album who has uh, always been one of my musical heroes when I was very young, always loved his sort of wordplay and angry young man and everything. Um, but I think it's an interesting phrase. The more you think about it, I think the more things it tells you. Um, let start with it's sort of, well, yeah, all this useless beauty. But then if you think about the sort of the idea of the pyramid of needs, it's beauty is almost the, the most important, unimportant thing. It's after you've got food, shelter, safety, security, then there's beauty. And I sort of lump creativity in with that as well. And I think creative people probably sometimes feel it's more important than all those things as well. But at the same time, it doesn't save the world, although you could argue it does. So there's a whole lot of things around that. It's, it's meant to be more of a thought-provoking thing than a, a statement. But I think there's putting, putting culture and beauty in its place within everything else, I suppose, is the idea that I'm trying to get across. Yeah, it does. It, I like it because it does actually make you think. <laughs> you, do, you start to question it. Yes. I suppose you put your own interpretations on it as well a little bit. That's Well, that, that's an interesting idea because that feeds on into the sort of abstract work as well. But yes, it's, it means what you want it to mean. If it makes you think, that's good. Yeah. And initially I go, oh, I don't like that because, because beauty is not useless. <laughs> it makes me feel very kind of like, oh, no, that's that's not right. Very protective almost of beauty because I think I'm in the camp of beauty, as you just said. Beauty and creativity is one of the single most important things in our lives because can you imagine the world without creativity and without beauty? Exactly. Yeah. So actually, it does make you think then a little bit about, you know, actually how important it is. So well done. <laughs> and if you if you think back to even, you know, cave art, people have always had this urge to do, to make beautiful things. There's always been, it's been a, a sign of status, you know, with royalty they could have expensive, beautiful things. So it's such a significant thing in our culture. So. Yeah, I can imagine if we didn't have it. If we didn't have any creativity, if we didn't have any art and music, our houses would be really bland. Our lives would be really bland. Yes. <laughs> and that's you know, that's what we're here to do. We're, we're, we're the only species that create. So, you know. I think so. I mean, there was, there was that thing of cats that create, wasn't there, a few years ago, but I don't think that was really... Really? <laughs> But there was a, book, a series of books about cats that make art, but I think it was all fake. Christmas presents for cat lovers. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I don't sort of think cats create. I think cats just want to chase mice, don't they? <laughs> Hunt. Or sleep. And sleep, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But it's an interesting an interesting point. So uh, anyway, that was the first thing I picked up on when I, I looked at your work. Um, and then the other thing is that you've got um, a really... Um, split of images so you've got images which are abstract on your this is on your website yeah 
um, and some that are more literal. Initially, when I got to know you last year, I have, you know, when you have like an impression of somebody and you just have, you've not really studied what they do particularly, but you just sort of think you associate them with something. I associated you with, probably from your Instagram, um, with sort of impressionist kind of soft, pastel, abstract images. And that's what I had in my head. (laughs) But that maybe have just come from me picking something up that I really liked, you know, and remembering an image that and then I associate you with it. Um, so it was really interesting to look at your website and seeing the the different types of images you make. So the question is, do you have a particular because you're shooting both, do you have a particular preference for one or the other, or are you just trying to find your way a little bit and experimenting with both? Um I think the answer to both of those is no, it's, it's not one or the other. Um, it, it varies over time. Uh, it's not I think the idea of a sort of personal style I don't see it as a as a destination it's more like um, what do I feel like today what am I drawn to at the moment it changes over time in a way the place defines it so on going back to the website there's there's sort of um, there's photography on there from traveling and some of that is sort of by the nature of it it's probably better to take straight pictures of people because multiple exposures and things they can work they can be interesting but it probably doesn't get across what I'm trying to get across or it's the abstract work, it's more about a feeling of a place, maybe trying to get a sense of a place, but it's a different sort of thing. And sometimes it's completely abstract. I mean, abstract is not a black and white, if you'll excuse the pun, not a black and white thing. It's a continuum from, yes, this is a picture of this, to it doesn't matter what it is, it's just a colour or a feeling or a shape. So and that's a roundabout answer. But I think there's, there's no particular preference, no one direction. I don't see it as one thing or the other actually instagram i've got two separate accounts one for the impressionist style and one for the literal because i wanted to deliberately keep them separate and i'm in the process of restructuring the website so it'll pretty much at the top be either abstract or the rest or demeaning it by calling it that but abstract or realistic let's say so yeah it's it's something i want to carry on with um definitely the realistic stuff i've just this year i bought two film cameras which don't really lend themselves to abstracts so going forward, I certainly want to pursue that. Um, and that will be more sort of representational photography, definitely. That's really interesting. I think it's an interesting topic for a lot of people because it's that way of, you know, do you find a certain style and stick to it or do you have different types? And this question that comes up for a lot of people, a lot of people I have to say, um, is it, do you have a, a style as a photographer or do you have different interests that come up, crop up differently? How do you then put them together? into one portfolio and it become a cohesive body of work um so it, it's a i'm not saying that anything's right or wrong here it's it's really it's really nice to just ex- explore that um and you're probably one of the few people that i've seen doing two things quite differently but quite well and they they kind of bind together somehow so i don't think that you you need to have um you need to shoot in a certain way to have a style for you for your good example so you've got abstract work and your literal work and yet they still both feel like your work now that's quite hard to do actually um but it's interesting that then you keep them apart on instagram so (laughs) yes I, i think i was i wanted to carefully curate the instagram abstract stuff so that that's all and and it's it's worked in a way because you've you've got that impression again i'm using the wrong word you've got the impression of that's what i do and i'm quite keen to keep that going I think this underlying underlying what you're saying, I think it's quite interesting that I think the most important thing is not so much how you do it, but it's your it's your vision that develops. It's what you see and what catches your eye. How you then photograph that is almost secondary. 
was during lockdown, I've spent a lot of time photographing flowers because it's quite an easy thing to do. Discovered my camera does photo stacking fantastically. But photographing things like lilies, which have beautiful shapes and curves to them, they almost become abstract because I can get quite close to them. So they just become pictures of patterns and shapes. So although they are, in one way, they're a, a literal photo because it's a straight image, it's not multiple exposure. At the same time, it's really just about curves and shapes. And so that, that's the direction that I seem to be going at the moment, whether it's the representational or the abstract. So just simplifying the pictures. Um, and on the trip to Western Scotland that we were talking about earlier, my favourite images from that, there's, um, there's some old concrete wartime bunkers on the coast. The inside of those is full of texture and pattern in the concrete and colour. Incredible. It's like a whole palette of abstract expressionist paintings. And I didn't need multiple exposures to make those interesting. So they were just straight single images. But at the same time, you wouldn't know what they were if I, hadn't, if I didn't tell you they are just patterns and colours. So that, again, I think that's an interesting, it's probably an interesting direction to explore is the sort of where the two things meet. So single images, but still abstract, in a sort of David Ward intimate landscape style. That direction is something I want to pursue, particularly with the film photography. So it's sort of where there's a crossover between all of it. Brilliant. Yeah. So I think what what we're trying to what we're getting at here is that even though you've got different ways of photographing something, it still comes from your interest. So whatever you're interested in, whatever you're you're driven by, and whatever you you have in your heart, almost that you want to translate into your photography it comes out and that becomes your style rather than the actual process. The process is secondary. It's the seeing and the what attracts you and the type of image. That's really interesting. So um, just if you don't mind, I know we're not very um, techie on this podcast, <laughs> um, but, but I am quite interested in your, your techniques just, just briefly. So I think it would be nice to know how you're achieving these results. Is it a multiple exposure? Is it ICM? Is it both? It's both, um, sometimes both in the same image. Um, I think ICM is fairly well understood, so I won't really go into that. You just open the camera for a few seconds and wave it around, basically. Um, but the multiple exposure, just for some people that won't be aware of it, like you, I don't really like talking about cameras. I don't think it's very interesting, but it's it's one area where the, the technical side of it is important. And I think there's only there's only a few cameras that can do what the sort of higher range Canons and Nikons can do where you have a number of different blending options. And you can take, if you imagine taking three or four pictures, um, there's three ways of blending them. Average mode is just like a pile of transparency. So if you imagine holding them up to the light, you just see all of them together, all merged together in a big mess. That's average mode. Um, light mode, it takes the lightest part of each of those pictures and creates one light image. So you, you tend to get a very light impressionist kind of effect, which is what you're seeing a lot of on my Instagram feed. If you, you were talking about pastel colours and light, that is what I'm drawn to. It tends to be what I would do most. It won't surprise you to hear that dark mode does the opposite. It throws away all the light and keeps the dark. And sometimes, you know, that works. But within that, the camera can merge 10 images, but you can take that one frame and then start again. So effectively, you can merge an infinite amount of images if you want to i think sometimes i've got up to 70 or 80 where you create a particular texture there's one that's a reed bed some reed beds on my website and it ends up looking like silk because there's so many layers and strands to it and then within that you've got your 10 frames you can then change the color balance so you start bringing in colors and also the way the camera this is maybe getting a bit esoteric now but the way the camera blends the light in light mode it tends to introduce shades of pale blue and magenta that aren't in the image, they just appear out of nowhere. 
And in dark mode, it introduces greens and oranges that aren't there. So you never quite know what you're going to get. So it's quite an organic thing. So the way I tend to use that, I'm quite loose with it. So I'll just, something catches my eye and I'll just take a couple of pictures and see, see what blends and see how it looks and then tune that idea. I know on some of the mirrorless cameras, you can see when you're taking a lot of exposures, you can see the layers. I don't particularly like that. I'd rather look at what I've got and think, well, I need a bit of dark over there. So I move the camera that way. And it's more like a jigsaw puzzle sort of thing. I need to fill that gap and just let it grow organically. And over time, it usually, it takes quite a while. It's things, things start to appear and then you can work out why they're happening and start to tune that. That's, that's the way I work. It's not a very prescribed way of working. It's really, I find it really interesting because it's not something I've ever done. I've tried it a couple of times on my Fujifilm cameras and um, failed really badly. <laughs> and, and it's kind of, then it becomes a bit frustrating almost, I think. Um, but actually, I think when you do achieve a nice result, it can be really, maybe once you get into the way of it and you get to know exactly what you're looking for, it's easier. But I think I just didn't really. So I don't know whether it's it's something nice to to play with a little bit more. And then I can imagine you spending a long time doing this and it'd be actually quite mindful because you're getting so in, in, involved in that process and that thought process of, of, you know, what to add and what to. I think there's a lot of forethought going into it, isn't there? And, and vision, maybe. And I think a, a key thing is, when you with the finished image you don't want to see the effect i think what can happen at first it's very impressive sometimes when you do it but after a while you you can see how the camera's moved you can see what's happened and that that i find doesn't work so well when when you've got the same branch rep- repeating 10 times then you it's all there that's not what i want in the picture and after a while you sort of see those elements and you you can work out ways to to remove that or maybe twist the camera or change the zoom or something so that you're not repeating the same thing over and over again and it it makes it more organic sort of picture fantastic i think we need to get you in to do a little um demo at some point a little video demo or screen sharing demo i think that would be nice i'd love to (laughs) yes for that that would be lovely the the only problem is that these things are very hard to recreate that i could go back to a place in the same conditions and i couldn't take the same picture i mean maybe that's good you know that's an interesting thing that's right. I think um, we, we're doing. Uh, I'm doing a lot of videos for the membership at the moment. So um, I'm ha- when I'm when I'm actually videoing myself, I have to be kind of almost sure that I'm actually going to have a, a decent image at the end. Of it. <laughs> it doesn't always work, um, but actually, even if you don't, it's quite nice to see the process behind it. So I think it's a really interesting um, concept. I don't think it's for everybody, um, but I think it's nice for people to to try it and see whether they they um, enjoy it. Um, how long have you been doing that for? Probably five or six years. I think when I seriously got into digital photography, the first DSLR I had probably did. I think three frames of average mode, like probably most digital cameras that people have will do something like that. And then the next one did 10 frames of average mode. So that was a step up. And then the main reason I upgraded to the cameras I have now is because they now do as many frames as I want, light, dark, average mode. So it gives me the the sort of freedom to do it. So it is unfortunately guided a little bit by by the equipment. But you can get quite close to it in Photoshop if people are familiar. I could, if we're doing a demo, then I can sort of show how you could get to that. It's also quite. There's a very good iPhone app called Photo Split, which if people want to get into it and sort of understand how the blending modes work, that's a very good way to start. 
Yeah, I love iPhone options yes. <laughs> for things. Even just starting to learn and start to starting to understand in a more simplistic way, it's it's a great thing to to use some of these apps and just get used to. It. And then if you want to move on with that and create images that are uh, well better and high, you know, better resolutions and better quality, then moving on to learning in the camera itself. And I think that's it's a really great way of doing it. I I love it. Um, I I like doing. Um, ICM on the iPhone. Yeah. It's brilliant. What, <laughs> Absolutely love it. <laughs> what camera has the best of you find in an iPhone? You can you can put it by your feet, you can put it high up, you can see how everything changes, and then put the camera in that place. It's fantastic from that point of view. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's yeah, it's very freeing as well, isn't yeah. it? So it's something I always encourage. Um, what I'm trying to um, I'm gonna throw you a curveball here because <laughs> I'm, I'm what I'm trying to get to is the like the, the reason behind why you do this is the um so you know for me I'm very very driven by peace and calm and the sea gives me that water I'm very very connected to water and there's reasons behind that um and it goes back to history it goes back to childhood it goes back to and you, you find that with photographers um who do really authentic work that there's there's something very very deep inside them and very um it's very long long what's the word longevity there isn't I can't put that into a sentence but anyway um very long you know there's a history there somehow of, of the things that you're drawn to um and the things that you respond to do you know do you know that yet do you have an answer to that if I was to say what is it that you're drawn to and why I think you've you've already provided the clue there maybe, maybe we've invented a word longevity <laughs> yeah, um, I think <laughs> I think like you water is that thing and it it wasn't a conscious thing. It, I, I sort of realised after a while that I'm always drawn to it, to photograph it. Um, and you know, I've got a similar sort of background to you that when I was young, every holiday was going to Cornwall to go surfing, to go in the water. And, and I think there's a lot of sort of things in the background like that. But now I, I find a landscape without a river in it or without a lake or without the sea, it just doesn't appeal to me. And it, that wasn't a conscious thing. It just That's just the way it is. And it, with the multiple exposure work, with the more abstract work, water's a fantastic way of abstracting things. You know, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, abstractions are more of a scale from you know, one, one side to the other. You've got movement, you've got reflections, it changes over time. You can blur it, you can reflect it, you can use waves. There are so many sort of dynamic, interesting things you can do with water. If you use longer exposures, you know, you know from your wave photography that you can bring out things that your eyes can't see. There's always something to see. You know, it's, it's, I find just looking at the waves endlessly fascinating. And I don't really know why that is. I, I, maybe it goes back to childhood holidays. You know, I love to be in the water, surfing like you. But just seeing it, the feeling of it, the sound, the smell, the taste of the salt, it's, all those things somehow lead into, even if it's just um, a local pond or a little stream, outside my window is Deptford Creek which is not the prettiest body of water but it's fascinating because it gets the light the tide goes up and down it's got birds on it different birds at different tides because they use different parts of the mud it's always changing there's so much to see fantastic that's brilliant I am I'm really um I really love your answer there because the thing is you you said a couple of things there that are really important for you know for anybody that's listening as well it's that unconscious non-conscious I can't remember you see you didn't consciously you're not consciously um doing it you're just attracted to it and it's that listening to your instinct and listening to your heart um, and it will take you to the places that 
that you that are most powerful for you and that is the only way that you'll create really powerful images when you 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 know people struggle to understand that because i tell you why because there's a there's a whole load of people out there who have spent years and years and years unlearning their natural instincts and living in the world and being told what to photograph and being told what to like and what to wear and what to buy and you know all these messages that come into our lives and whereas if you go back to childhood those messages weren't now you just you were just attracted to something that you loved you know it it, it becomes very life becomes very complicated and uh, yeah as we go we unlearn those natural instincts those natural um things that we're drawn to as children so um you know i think um, it's very hard for people then to to understand what it is to love because sometimes I say to people, well, you know, they say, well, I don't know what to photograph. Is that well, what do you love? And they don't know, um, but they do know. You just have to strip that right back, and when you strip that back, you you find it, and you've obviously you're obviously a long way on that journey already, which is really nice. And there's very few people who are. So um, it's that that being drawn back and you will be drawn back and back and back and back to the thing that you really love. So um, that's really nice. And I'm I'm glad it's water (laughs) because I understand. And often you do find um, just on a side note, it is connected with something where you felt safe or happy as a child. And it just comes back to you. It certainly is for me. So (laughs) wonderful. So thank you for that. I think it's a very important thing that photographers could do. If, if they're having that problem of not knowing what that thing is, it's just look at a lot of photographs, look at books, look at magazines and have a look at the images that they're drawn to. And this, this will tell you a lot of things because are they simple or complex? Are they mountains? Are they sea? Are they landscape? Are they urban? All those things. It, if you can pick 10 images and actually write down what it is about them that you like or what you don't like, and then if you do that over time, the ideas will start to crystallise out of that. You'll you'll tell yourself there's something about those images. It might be a multicoloured abstract, or it might be a very soft black and white. You know, but you'll get a feeling, and that will direct you in the direction you should be going. It, it may not be copying those images, but it'll tell you what you do and don't like. Yes, that's that's really useful. Thank you. <laughs> that's great. Um, so going on from that water theme, then I think um, I I was drawn to your folly pond um series that's on your your website at the moment and also the fact that you called the the, an anti-icon I love that I think that's just brilliant (laughs) um you know I think we're 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 pushed um photographically when we're in front of a scene that is is kind of subtle and it doesn't shout at you um take this image in this way because we've seen it before (laughs) so you know um I I'm a big fan of going to locations that uh, are not very well known and so you know you you don't have any preconceived ideas of what to photograph so but I suppose the folly pond then goes a little bit further because you talk about it not having any particular you know definition and it, it's wide open to interpretation then is that right do you do you, you know do you do you like me personally sort of set out to find these anti-icon <laughs> kind of locations uh yes very much so um the, the pond is a particular thing because it's very close um, and it's just a scruffy little bit of water, but it's surrounded by trees, uh, reeds. It's sort of aligned east to west so that the sun rises and sets along it. The A2 main road goes right past it. So you can, in, in the evening, you can bring in red lights from the traffic reflecting on the water. It's got water, so it has reflections, it has ripples. But I think I mean, the theme of my book, just touching on it briefly there, is it's not pictures of the pond, it's pictures of light and shade and movement and colour. 
that happen to be made in that place. And it's not meant to be a set of images of the pond. I've just titled that because the gallery needs a title. But it's things, it's feelings and moods and conditions and elements that arise when you're there. And yes, more broadly, I, I think like you, I'm very much drawn to the idea of a picture is not a picture of a place. It's a, it's a picture of the weather or the elements or the waves or something like that. I, the, there are fantastic photographers that are going to places that are recognisable views and they're taking the definitive images of them. Um, and they do that and they, they go there a hundred times and they get that weather and they get that shot. And I, that's fantastic for them. And, and I know people like to emulate those and that's, that's a completely valid way of working. But for me, it's not something I want to do to sort of go and see what everyone else has seen. And, and if you can see where it is, I don't want to do it. I think that's my sort of key thing. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the things that draws me to your workshop, it's like we're going to Ireland next year, we went to Orkney this year. I think it was this year, it seems like. Long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so long ago. But um, when I think about Ireland, I don't, I've got no preconceived ideas about it. If, if we were going to Sky, then yeah, there'd be that view and there's that view and that view. And if we were going to Egg, there's rum across the beach and it's fantastic, you know, everyone's done that view. But when you think about Ireland, I've got no idea. Um, the only thing I know about it is the distilleries, and that's got nothing to do with where I'm going. But uh, photographically, that's fantastic because it means we'll just get what's there on the day. So going back to your question about multiple exposure, I don't know. I don't know yet. I'll have the camera there that will do both. I'll have a film camera with me. Whatever the conditions dictate, that's what will happen. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And it's probably one of the reasons I chose Isla, actually. Um, and I'm looking for more and more random islands as we go <laughs> that nobody knows. But for this reason, actually, you know, you, you think of like Harris and you've seen a lot of images of the beaches, Luskintyre, and, you, you know, you know, it's, it's very difficult to get away from that almost. Um, whereas Ireland, I don't think many people have really photographed Ireland for some reason. Um, I was there just, just by the by. I was there recently and, um, or actually, no, it was a year ago. And it was kind of like, I was thinking, it's very, very quiet on these beaches, you know. And I was there and I was alone photographing. And it was it was beautiful. I was thinking, why is nobody else here? And then I went to a distillery um, to grab some lunch and I went in and it was absolutely heaving. I was like, well, that's why nobody's on the beaches. They're all in the distilleries. So um, it's, it's really nice to go to places that are lesser known but have these amazing locations. It does free your mind. You know, you know, I, you don't know what you're going to. So I, I um, think it's a really valuable thing to do, actually. Yeah. Whereas if you go to photograph the Eiffel Tower, you know, it's like you're going to know. <laughs> I think with places like that, you, you can, when it's a site or something like the Eiffel Tower, you can still do your own interpretation of it. I think the difficult thing is when it's a landscape and there is the view and the, maybe geographically there is only one place to stand or realistically or practically and that's when I think it becomes really difficult because then you, the only variables are the, the conditions which of course can make, an, make or break an image but the, the composition is done for you you're not seeking it out and going back to you have somewhere back and missed the time the original question about the pond and that body of water is that it's you have to find the images you you wouldn't look at it and think oh yeah that's the shot if I stand there that's where the sunset is it's it's not like that it's an ugly little thing and you've got to find the details within it. And you maybe to on a particular day, I went there a few weeks ago, it was one of those evenings when it's raining and sunny because the sun was low. So it's across the water, so the shadows of the trees are different. So that worked with multiple exposure. ICN probably wouldn't have got the mood of that day. So it's, it's very much been just see what happens and try things out. And it's nearby, so 
I tend to only take one camera, one lens, and and let that dictate what I do. Oh, brilliant! So, is the um, is the pond is it? It's close to you, and was this this is a lockdown kind of thing? Was it that it was easy access or? It is very close. Yeah, it's about 20 minutes walk away, but it goes back a lot further. I've, I've been doing it for about five years. Uh, probably got a thousand pictures of it, something like that. <laughs> um, so it's just, the, it's just the place I go back to. It's very easy to get to. Um, there's never anybody there, just me and the ducks. I did know. I did know. I like that when there's just, yeah, there's just wildlife and yourself. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I did notice on the website, I don't know whether this is intentional, it probably was. I imagine it would be. When you've got the you've got the Folly Pond series, it starts with very sort of light parsley images, and then as you scroll down the page, it gets darker and more mysterious. Was that intentional? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, and that, that section of the website, the abstract section, I rebuilt it all this year, and the, the sequences of images are quite carefully curated to try and give you that feeling of, sort of there's a reason why these pictures are together. I think some of the, some of the older sections lower down are a bit thrown together, uh, but I've tried with those to theme them quite tightly so, so that when you see the sort of thumbnails, they look like they belong together. So what, what is your um, intention with your photography? Is it something that you're just doing for yourself or do you have um, do you have ambition? Do you have do you want to go further with it? Um, I know you've got the book coming out. So that's suggesting to me that, you know, you, you, you're taking this seriously and it's it's a passion for you, but it's also it's a very serious passion. Yes, um, I think it's a passion. Definitely. Um, it's something I do for me. But at the same time, I want to get that work out there. Um, it's nice for people. I, I like people to see it. I like people to like it. Hopefully people like the book. People look at the website and the, they'll appreciate the work. I know a lot of the abstract work isn't for everybody, and that's that's fine. I wouldn't expect everybody to love it. That's the, that's the nature of that kind of work. It's not a, it's not going to appeal to everybody in the way that a sort of straight landscape with a beautiful sunset might do. Um, so there's a lot of answers there. I think my primary motivation is is that feeling when either on the back of the camera or more recently with prints, you just get that feeling that that's a beautiful thing. It's satisfying at the time. And it that could be the first photo you've ever taken. At, at that moment, you think, yes, I've achieved something. I've made something that I like. And ultimately, that's why I do it. Longer term, it's nice to have exhibitions, podcasts like this. It's nice to be recognised from that point of view. I'd like to do more books. Maybe in the future, I'd like to run some workshops. But that's a sort of separate separate thing to do the idea of semi-retiring and making photography more of a sort of part-time business is very appealing that's something i want to look into Um, but really the ultimate thing is just seeing that image on a piece of paper i made that and it's fantastic it's a lovely feeling and and, i know this is not new but i would encourage everyone to print because i've been doing it a lot recently i've had a printer a couple of years but the last few months actually since that workshop with um, eddie Ephraims, particularly he's obviously very big on printing so I've just come home and been printing everything I can find, and it's great. It also, it's very good for, so this is a bit of an aside to your question, it's very good for weeding out the good and the bad stuff because you notice so much more on a print than you do on a screen. Perfect. That's really nice to hear. I think what you're saying, which is really nice, is that it comes from you. So this is coming from your passion, doing something for yourself, and I have to say, I believe that this is the only way that you will ever become, oh, what's the word? But be careful here, because I don't want to say a good photographer, because, well, you know, how did you find that? I think it's the way that you start to create powerful and authentic work is by it starting with, with you, shooting for yourself, 
from the heart, understanding your motivations and your values and your loves in life. I talk about this quite a lot. Um, But I, I think that's if you start from that point and then move on to it becoming maybe, you know, as you said, semi-retirement, you know, that that's the place, that's how it works. If you were to start out saying, well, okay, I want to photograph some images that will win me a competition. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> it doesn't work. So you, you start with shooting for yourself and then you, you build up from there. And there's nothing quite like being um, working with on in your purpose. So when you've got a real purpose in your life and a real passion for something, it comes through and it comes through in your work and then it leads you, it leads you places, you know? So, you know, bringing across that, I think for you, I think, you know, building on these, um, if you don't mind me saying, building on the, the, the ideas and the processes, thought processes behind what you do is going to be the thing that differentiates you from a lot of photographers. So a lot of photographers put work out there. So I look at Instagram a lot. Um, websites and portfolios are a bit more tricky, actually. I think Instagram's a very good representation of, uh, as long as they're kept up a little bit, <laughs> um, good representation of a person's body of work and where they're going because we have words and images so the words are the key here. So for me, they are, um, and not for everybody, I know sometimes, it, maybe we can just talk about this quickly, actually. Um, the words are kind of not as important, but for me, they are because I, I want to know what gets you. I want to know what's behind your work, um, what drives it, um, what's what's in your heart. And um, very few people can actually explain that. So um, Instagram for me is very, very telling. It also shows you a quick snapshot of the style and whether it's cohesive or not, whether there's anything that binds everything together. So I don't know what I was talking about there. (laughs) I went around in a big circle there. I I do like your Instagram. I'm much more attracted to your abstract um, Instagram account just because I am. (laughs) I'm not saying there's any, it's probably because I've looked at that more than the other ones. Um, So I think for you to develop that more, if you can keep, writing on all the things that you've said today fantastic and and letting people know I think we need more photographers in the world that have genuine thought processes behind the work and less photographers that just show pictures that are shot f16 and it focus all the way and and they've they've gone around to I've got to be careful I'm saying I don't know but they've gone they've gone around to iconic places and just take images with no thought behind them so um, I don't know if that helps at all. It, it does. And I think going back to your, your question where we started on this, um, that by being, by photographing for myself, not, not making any money out of it, it's, you can see there are some photographers who have been successful with a particular genre and they're now stuck within that because they're making a living out of it and it's a commercial imperative for them and they have to follow that. And it ends up with them shooting a certain style or a certain subject and they don't have a choice in that and it takes away from what they feel. So I'd hate that to be the idea that I felt I have to go and photograph this today because I'm being paid for it. And then it becomes a job. And then I can imagine you can very quickly lose your passion for it. But um, there's a guy I know around the corner, Mike Curry. I don't know if you know him. He has two completely different strands of work. He does his own. He's got a beautiful book of reflections of water in Canary Wharf, but he also photographs products for a living. 
boxes of sausages and things. Yeah, great. <laughs> Very inspirational. So he, he found a way to separate them. But I know, you know, some photographers have a lot of difficulty with that. They, they are known as the thing photographer. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, obviously I, I I'm a commercial and wedding photographer. I have many strands. So I have a, yes. <laughs> a somewhere in the in the archives of uh, Google. I have a, a commercial website. I actually do um, like um, architectural photography. <laughs> food photography uh, I do a lot of B&Bs and hotels not so much anymore and then weddings are my big thing where my income was always through weddings now that's like to me that's like that's my job you know that's my day job um yes and yes. actually there's some enjoyment I've, I've got to say from the from the weddings there's like there's a part of it that's um I love when they're on beaches <laughs> um but the landscape photography has always been my real true passion um and I didn't start to when I started photographing again maybe 10 years ago I started properly going back to it I've always done it but going back to it properly I wasn't shooting for anybody I wasn't shooting for to earn money I didn't even think about earning money from it from, for many many years um, and it's only recently that I've I've turned it into a business but I think the only reason that I've been able to do that is because I shot from the heart from and I still do you know I still don't shoot um, to sell um, they, the images do sell now ironically because <laughs> they're shot from the heart so yeah exactly yeah exactly. That, that's it's it's a difference isn't it it's, it's, it's interesting way of looking at it you know I think you can I've consciously separated my businesses that way so not many people know that I I worked for Build It magazine. Uh, she did architectural photography for years. They do now. You know? <laughs> they do now. Um, so you know, but that, that's not my passion. So um, yeah, I think that you, you're absolutely right. You've got to be very careful when you're looking at moving your photography forward. Keep it from the heart. Keep shooting for yourself and not for um, anyone else. Um, it's one of the difficult things about people when on enter competitions. You know. Um, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? But if you start shooting for a competition, it's not going to win. <laughs> no. And if it does, so what? Well, this is true. That's a, that's another point. Yeah, totally. Um, but but I think that's quite a big thing that people do actually shoot for competitions and what will the judge like? And then, you, well, your, your image isn't, isn't your own then, so it's not powerful. So um, there we are. That was quite a nice little detour. <laughs> so one last question for you. Um, I'm quite interested in people's influences and where they draw um their influence from so for me i do not draw any influence from photographers maybe from historical photographers a little bit but not currently um, i spend very little time looking at photographers and looking what they do and i for, for me this is for me you know we, we all have our own opinions and our own processes so um for me i think it's been um quite valuable to do that to, to not look around too much <laughs> and to just concentrate and go with my instinct and just go with, with what i do you know um sometimes i, I now obviously i'm looking more now because I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people and that's quite nice in itself um but i draw a lot of um my inspiration for my work and the thoughts behind my work from books and um, listening to podcasts, um, but not necessarily photography ones. Um, so can you just tell us what, where you draw your inspiration and influence from? All sorts of places. I think it can come from almost anywhere. I think um, it might be writing, it might be cinema, it might be 
other photographers, it might be art, it might be music. Um, and I think the whole sort of cross-pollination of all those ideas, and it, they're, they're quite often not literal. I think it might be just um, you hear a piece of music and there's something about maybe the mood of it or even this bit's all fuzzy but this bit's sharp. It might be that. How do you, how do you photograph that? And I think it's that kind of level of uh, inspiration of ideas. It's not trying to recreate something. Um, I think if you, you know, being in London, in normal, in the normal course of events, you're spoiled with art galleries. So you've got an opportunity to see all sorts of fantastic things. And I quite often come away with that with sort of pages of notes in my iPhone about ideas for images that wouldn't be trying to recreate what I've seen. But I always have in the back of my mind, well, how would you do that with a camera? How could you create that kind of effect? Sometimes it's as literal as that, but it might just be. Or with the yeah, if I can see how maybe I would take this kind of picture if I was in that mood or I want to express that kind of feeling. So there's all sorts of things like that. And it is other photographers, I think, but again, not copying, trying not to copy. It's um great artist steal, I know, but just an idea or a place, something might look interesting. Um, it might give you an idea of somewhere to visit or a style to investigate. Um, but yeah, inspirations from all over the place. For writing, very much from writing, I think you you can i think it's an interesting creative exercise to read read something and then go and photograph based on what you've read or listen to a song and then go and photograph based on what you've heard and it it sort of trains your mind in developing creative ideas and you start to do that naturally and you see something and it makes you think of something else and it's it's sort of playing really it's going as you were saying earlier about going back to childhood ideas it's it's just playing. Just let yourself play. That's really all we're doing is just coming up with ideas and messing about with them and see what happens. Brilliant. I really love that. I think that's really nice. That, that, that the whole creativity, it's not just one thing, is it? it that mute, the ideas of music, I love the idea of music at the moment and um, lyrics and the mood of it and, you know, about reading and you know books and, and there's so much that we can draw inspiration from and so much we can use in our photography as well so that's really given us some some ideas so thank you for that well I think that we are um, we've covered everything here and it was really lovely to um, have you on can you just tell um, everybody where they can find you if they want to look you up well, the website, as I hope everyone knows by now, it's um, www.allthisuselessbeauty.co.uk, probably .com as well. Um, there's all sorts of galleries in there. Um, good place to start is recent and abstracts. Um, over the next few months, it's a good lockdown project. I'll be rebuilding the rest of it. But those have been done, so that's a good place to have a look. Um, there will shortly be a book link on the back on the bottom of the menu um, with the details of how to find the book, which is coming out hopefully in three or four weeks. And then there's also links on there to my Facebook, Instagram and everything else. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I wish you all the best in your, your future endeavours. And I'm sure we'll be following along <laughs> with you. So thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. Lovely to talk to you, Margaret. OK, bye then. Bye. Bye now. Bye. Thank you all for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share and review it. And I'll see you on the next episode.